You'd all join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we delight in your Shabbat. We also delight in your Feast of Tabernacles. And that delight begins today. We're so grateful that you have brought so many out to worship you and honor you on this special time, the final feast of the seventh month and the last great day. We pray that all who come, all who are here, all who are listening will be given a special blessing. As you have promised in your word, we come before you now as we seek to learn more about you, seek to learn more about your word, your ways, and your feast. And we pray that it will be a a blessing we can return home with and remember all year long. We pray also that you'll be with those that have special needs, those that are, are suffering, those that are struggling with their health. We pray that you'll be their Yahweh Rapha. So at this time, we ask for your your hearing on what we have to say as long as it's according to your word. And we pray that all who would come would receive a special blessing. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed on the, uh, well, welcome everyone, by the way. Uh, it's great having a full house. You looked at the western sky last night, you saw a bright red sunset. Kind of like that song that we, we sang had a bright red sunset in the, uh, the background. So here we are, the, a feast, Yahweh's blessing. Red sky at night, sailors delight, they say. So we... We're looking forward to a not only a great feast here and among the fellowship and the brethren, but also the weather has been terrific so far. And uh, we got our rain, got the place, the, everything cleansed, dust settled. We were getting pretty dusty there for a while. It had been several weeks where we had rain, but uh, now Yahweh's blessed us. That's one sign, I think, that uh, Yahweh shows it's his true two days. Here's a multiple choice question you can answer yourself. I'm here at the Feast of Tabernacles because, A, I like camping, B, I want to get to know the brethren, C, I was curious what all the chatter was about, and D, the feast is central to my life and faith. You know, the feast is a key part of the covenant of Almighty Yahweh. It's, it's First of all, it's his desire that we're here, and that's what I want to talk about today, his desire. He has you here, and you've responded to that. If you think about it, that's really kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? The great, infinite, majestic king of the universe, the one you look out and see the massive stars and the planets and the whole universe that he created, he's asked you to come here and worship him, honor him. He has a future plan, and he wants you to be part of it. You received a personal invitation to the conviction that you gave to come here, to make the effort, and that's big. That's huge. It's mind-boggling. It's epic when you think about it. You responded to the call of the creator of the whole universe. Nothing on earth can remotely compare. Doing what Yahweh commands has an impact that can't be measured Paul wrote, I has not seen nor ear heard what Yahweh has in store for those who love him. We can't even imagine. You know, we can imagine a lot of things in science fiction and so forth, you know, movies. They can imagine a lot of things, too. We can't even imagine what's in store for us. Our minds would collapse trying to think and try to realize what Yahweh has for those who are 
chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. I pray that we're the chosen. We remain true to him. But if that doesn't resonate down to your bones, I don't know what does, really. This creator we worship has personally asked you to obey his voice and appear during his time, his feast, his moed, in true worship and close fellowship with the brethren, with other brethren, and sharing thoughts and understanding. More than anything, he wants you here, not someone else, not a friend. Well, they may want you here, but he is the one we're trying to satisfy. He's the one that we're answering the call to. Those who do answer the call are the cream of the crop. The great masses, 99.99%, deliberately choose to be out in the world this time, pursuing secular material life as they do every day, unendingly. And uh, some are simply blinded about the covenant plan. We can understand that. But as Yogi Berra once said, if you don't know where you're going, you may end up someplace else. Each of us will reap the consequences of decisions we make today, long-term, eternal consequences. Ultimately, when our days are over, we'll turn our life's record over to the Savior, the judge of all men. How will we fare? You know, we record these programs, these uh, services, uh, video programs and so forth. Yasha's recording your life right now. How are we faring? Following truth is like being in the first century when Yahshua walks up to you. You're casting your fishing line out of your nets and taps you on the shoulder and says, come with me. What do you mean, come with you? Be my disciple. Now you have life-changing choices to make. He explains that your choices, your choice is all or nothing. Either come or you don't. You can't live two different lives. In Yahweh's ranks, there are no weekend warriors. A part-time follower won't cut it. Someone who approaches him on a weekend, like say on a Sunday, and thinks he's got it all sewed up, that's not going to cut it. It has to be your whole life involvement. You can't live part-time and then be consumed by the world the rest of the time. And it's hard. It's hard to break free of that world. But it's got something we've got to do. This walk calls for a daily immersion of your life, beginning with baptism. You know, few people give salvation a second thought, thinking they're heaven, they're heaven bound regardless. That, you know, it'll all take care of itself. It'll all work out in the end. You know, just be kind to everybody and uh, pet stray dogs and so forth, and you'll be okay. But just in case they end up in that other place, they use religion as fire insurance. They put out minimal effort just to get by, just to cover themselves, because that's what they're told. Can't always blame them. That's what they're told. You don't need to go much more than that. That's, that's your faith. That's all you need. Just trust and believe and have faith. But you, you know Yahweh can see right through that. Anybody can really see right through it when you look at the plan. It's not about satisfying the letter of the word. It's about a heart condition, a change inside. Something has to go beyond the letter of the word to change you to become like Yahshua the Messiah. 
what's going on in your head. The greatest people in the scriptures had the best hearts. David had a, the heart Yahweh loved, even though he made, you know, he messed up. But he, when he found out he did, he repented sincerely. You know, Yahweh's not going to be mocked. He knows when we look for loopholes. That's typical human nature. Like the first century apostle, your decision to follow or not will influence everything you do for the rest of your life. You will live, breathe, and eat with Yahshua, following him everywhere, doing what he said to do, doing what he taught to do, like the disciples themselves. It was every day, every day. Up, oh, come on, John, Peter, James, let's, we're going. We're going out to evangelize. Well, they had to get up, you know. I don't know how early they got up. seems like Yahshua never slept. You don't read much about that. But they got up, they went out, started talking to people, teaching the word wherever they went, watching Yahshua. Wouldn't that be great? Follow Yahshua around and watch him teach. Watch what he did. Watch when he's confronted by a, a bombastic Pharisee trying to trap him, trying to give him the catch-all catch uh, argument and see what he did, see how he responded. Just watch him in action. It would have been fun. It would have been great. It would have been mind-blowing, really, when you think about it. Some would say, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know whether I'm up to the task. You, you know, I have my life to live and, you know, on and on and on. And therein lies the problem. Whether anciently or not, the choice is the same. The fact is, few really grasp the sacrifice needed, the sacrifice that Yahweh is looking for. It takes a total change of mind and heart to follow Yahshua even today. And few are willing to sacrifice, to make that difference in their lives. We're investing time at, at a place where he chooses. And, of course, as we all know, time is life. Time is when I have so much of it. A brother was telling me, uh, he said, uh, did you know that our life is, is made up of, like, what do you say, 700,000 hours? Never thinking of it in those terms. But that's, when you think about it, goes goes quite quickly. So this is his time and his place. We came here to do what he asks of us, to take part in a family that he's making now, a family that's going to rule in a plan he has for the entire universe forever. That's, that's big. He established seven annual appointed times during which we're to come and see his face, to honor him, to worship him. Exodus 12, Exodus 23, Leviticus 23. You can find them all in those the whole gist of it in those three places. These are his holidays. You won't find them on your Gregorian wall calendar anywhere. These are his holidays. You won't find them in generic worship. These are his. You can't find any greater blessing anywhere than to comply with his personal command to keep these days and honor them. Leviticus 23.2 tells us they are his days, not man's. They are inherent, automatic benefits to doing what he says. Deuteronomy 28.1 says, If you listen to Yahweh and observe and do all his commandments, quote, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. It's, uh, it's the promise. Followed by promises of uh, you'll never have to worry about your needs. 
You may have to worry you're not getting your wants, but that's not what he promised. He promises our needs. But a man always prefers to do things his own way, schmutzes it up, and then overlaps it with a bogus veneer and uh, try to, you know, explain it away. I always think of the Xmas celebration. That comes to mind. Without any scriptural foundation, without any justification for observing it, and no example that anyone in Scripture ever did, and no, no place in Scripture where you can even find it, the Yuletide holiday took its cue from retailer hype to become the world's super holiday. The masses are sucked into it almost inescapably in this big vortex of money, 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 making money. And when pressed, they try to smooth it over, claiming it has a scriptural basis, which clearly does not. Where's the justification other than tradition? On the other hand, if you want scriptural foundation, clear support, and abundant justification for keeping the feast and lots of examples that they did in the word, where people of the word did keep them, you have it in triplicate, live and in living color. It's all the way through the Bible. How do they miss it? Why do they miss it? That's the question. Incredibly, it's a fact that doesn't seem to phase the masses today. They either are ignorant of this clear truth, and if they're ignorant, you know, we can't blame them. They were never taught, or they just don't care. They just don't care. They're living their own lives. They won't sacrifice to make any changes. We observe the feast because they are just as critically binding as the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath day. Leviticus 23 introduces them to us by commencing with the Sabbath. He starts off with, these are the feasts of Yahweh, then he talks about the weekly Sabbath. It's a feast. He starts off with that, then he starts enumerating them, you know, the uh, Passover and Living Bread and all the way through. These are saying that these are the feasts of Yahweh. They're his. Does that mean that only he observes them? <laughs> That's not what he says in his word. He's given to us. They're connected with the institution of the Sabbath through the number seven. Think how important the number seven is through the scriptures. You ever thought about that? Well, you got the uh, seventh-day Sabbath. comes on the seventh day. That's seven. Um, and the Sabbath, by the way, is a feast kept weekly. The feasts are Sabbaths kept yearly. And basic parameters were required in all of them. Cessation from work, worshiping Yahweh, coming together with others, sacrificing, offering, learning his word. The sacred number seven dominates the cycle. Besides the Sabbath, every seventh day of the week, every seventh month is an especially sacred time where all, I think there's four major feasts in the seventh month more than any of the others. After seven times seven years is the sabbatical. I'm sorry, the sabbatical is every seven years. Seven times seven is the jubilee. There we got the seven again. The Feast of Unleavened Bread begins 14 days, two times seven after the beginning of the month, and lasts seven days. The Feast of Weeks is seven times seven from Unleavened Bread, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, you get to... Uh, Unleavened bread all the way to Pentecost, and then Feast of Tabernacle begins 14 days, two times seven after the beginning of the month, and lasts seven days. 
once did a study one time showing how seven day, the seventh day rest is innate in human beings. They have to have that seventh day rest. And if they don't, they're prone to error, they're prone to bad health, they're prone to all of these things that Yahweh has put in our DNA that we need rest every seven days. The feasts like the weekly Sabbath give us spiritual renewal. And the question we need to ask, answer at this feast is, are we dedicated enough to Yahweh? It's a question we have to continually ask. Do we really have what it takes to be Yahshua's disciples? You look at, you compare yourself to the prophets, the, the patriarchs of old. You look at them and you say, man, how can I measure up to that? You know, these people were constantly in tune with Yahweh. They had uh, lived, they lived their lives according to the word. And if there was a problem, they called a prophet to straighten it out because he was Yahweh's spokesman. Because why? Because he lived for Yahweh. So do we? Do we live for Yahweh? Do we give him, him all, give him our all when we need to? Why are religious extremists so hard to stop? You know, they, they just, uh, nothing seems to phase them. They go on and on because nothing will stand in their way. They're totally dedicated and committed to their cause. They'll die for their ultimate sacrifice of self is, is the ultimate way to go the ultimate involvement. And it's the exact point that we as Yahshua's people and Yahweh's chosen, hopefully, must be willing to go if we hope to be considered one of his. Paul says, I die daily. He was ready to go at any time. You know, he gets on a ship and he gets shipwrecked and then he gets arrested and thrown in jail and then he gets whipped and he on and on and on. It's like, it's like I'm ready to go any time, you know. Yahweh's the one that's keeping me standing and so, you know, bring it on. That's to the point. That's the kind of mentality we have to have. It's clear from the scriptures that we must be prepared for the ultimate sacrifice in serving him. And if you're not prepared to stand for your faith in that way uh, now to overcome a few trials and inconveniences, how will you ever stand in the day you may be called to make the ultimate sacrifice? Revelation 20 shows us that this very scenario looms perhaps in our, our future now. Verse 4, and I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yahshua and for the word of Yahweh and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Messiah a thousand years, willing not to go with the world, not to go with the beast system. These are the stakes, and Yahweh is looking for those who have the strength, the heart, and the will to overcome. He's looking for the cream of the crop, high positions in the priesthood. You know, priests have to be highly skilled and educated, knowledgeable, in conducting the right worship. That's what he wants of his people. That's what we're trying to learn now. Go up here to the road. Take a survey of 100 people going by. Now, that's going to take a while because this road is not very busy. It may take you all day. But you get 100 people and ask them if they ever heard of the Feast of Tabernacles. How many yes responses would you get? 
Just think. Five, three. You might encounter one or two Bible students in 100 people who's read about it, or they saw our sign. Most only know worldly celebrations. Oh, that's all they know. That's all they've done all their lives. Xmas promotions. They're going to be starting as you make your way back from the feast. I remember last year. It was this time. I was looking over notes one time. And it was in September and Lowe's. Home improvement store had Santa Claus out, trees and all this stuff. In September. Middle of September. And I just shook my head. Does it never end? Maybe it won't. Maybe Christmas in July will be Christmas all year long. Oh, the merchants would love that. You know, cha-ching. They keep it moving. They keep it going. Being that this is the first day of autumn and the first day of the feast, we have a lot of firsts going on. But if I can coin a word... What we see going on is traditioning, traditioning for mindless spending as retailers look to pry every last dollar out of the hands of the unknowing. Ask any hundred people if you ever heard of keeping Sunday as a day of rest and worship. Oh, sure. Everyone would say, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's what I do, they'd probably say. Most would say Sunday is, in fact, their day of worship. Ask them for scriptural validation. And not one would be able to find a legitimate verse. Not one passage in the Bible teaches commands or entreats keeping of the first day of the week. There's only eight places in the Bible talk first day of the week. Get your concordance. Look it up. First day of the week. It only occurs eight times. And that doesn't say Sunday. Sunday isn't even in there. It could be Monday. could be Sunday. could be Monday, Tuesday. First day of the week, they did this. First day of the week, they did that. Didn't say they did it on Sunday. The largest religion in the world professes the Bible as its authority, worships on a day with no biblical support. Add that up. And keeping annual celebrations entirely missing from the word. Well, the ones that are all over the word, they completely ignore. FOT is found dozens of times in scripture and it's completely overlooked. Like it wasn't there. There is zero scriptural support for observing what 99% of believers, Bible believers, supposedly believe. Not just that, but those days they keep are denounced in the word. Uh, if you want further, further evidence, that uh, let's go the other direction. We hear a lot of uh, these days about identity theft. Savvy thieves can steal your identity, meaning your name, your good credit, your assets, even your house. By far the greatest theft of identity was the stealing away of the name of the Father and the Son from mainstream worship of us to do. The Father and Son were subject to identity theft millennia ago by the religious establishments with agendas to supplant truth with a bogus set of beliefs and practices they've They've followed ever since. We dedicate much of our outreach here at YRM to trying to right these wrongs, trying to get back on track, restoring, that's in our name, restoring the truth that's been neglected for all this time. Millennia. 
the fulfillment of 2 Timothy 4.3, which was spoken 2,000 years ago, has held true for millennia, and only the sincere seeker is going to find it, that Yahweh calls. They'll not be blinded by the magnitude of conventional teachings. They'll say, wait a minute, prove it. Prove it. We're in Scripture. Book, chapter, verse, I want to know. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. When did nominal worship stop enduring sound doctrine? Go back into the history. Well, it happened right after Yahshua left, right after he ascended into heaven from the earth. It all started to go kittywampus. Pretty much right after Yahshua's death, the wheels of identity theft began turning nearly from the start of the New Covenant assembly. When factions started going every which way. Paul warned in Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.15 that even in his day, there were already people turning aside to follow. Hasatan. And then we read of the specific warning in 2 Peter 2.1 about how it will be accomplished. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall turn, or I'm sorry, bring in damnable heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Those who break free of the ignorance to taste for the first time the amazing truths of Yahweh's word, and especially of his feasts and the plan that they present. They're the ones. They're the cream of the crop. They're the ones who are searching for truth, and they won't give it up. Once they grab onto it, they hold on to it. The amazing feasts. Then they ask, well, we've been asked how many times, how do I keep these feasts? What do I do? What am I supposed to do? Sacrifice a goat? Or what do I do? I, I don't know. Well, just go to the New Testament and read about them, how Yahshua kept the feasts, how he kept the Passover. The seven annual Moedim, or appointed times, are the only annual religious observances commanded in Scripture, and most know nothing about it. How sad is that? Think about it. They know a lot about observing days completely missing, they can tell you all about it. Whenever one guy came to the feast, he says, oh, I'll tell you, my wife, she's, uh, she's really locked into Xmas. He said, all year long, it's Xmas, Xmas, Xmas. And you wouldn't believe it. Stopped in his house, visited. We were heading back east and stopped in at his house. I think it was in Ohio. Said, yeah, you're right, she's into it, the whole house. Looks like Santa's playground or something. It was just crazy. She really thought this was it. It's sad. But many people do. The truth of what the Bible teaches is like a map to a treasure. Yahweh outlines it. How to go. Where to go. What to do. How to go about doing when you're there. And all of that. A clear map. Arrows pointing the right direction. And you give the people the map and you watch as they take off in the complete opposite direction. Even though... Anyone can clearly read and understand the map if they have a heart to do so, if they really want to. It, it, it's bizarre. It really is. It's bizarre. Well, enough. You're committed to the Feast of Tabernacles. You're committed to Yahweh's Feast, and that's great. 
What a wonderful thing to see. Brethren, really desire to follow the word. You followed his map. You're here at Yahweh's command. You didn't fight it or find excuses, and it may not have been easy. Usually it never is easy. Car breaks down, need tires, you need to you run out of money. Something comes up at the last minute, and then, and then you're scratching around. How am I going to do it? We hear it all the time. And then some certain percentage say, I just can't make it. i got too many obstacles in my way. Um, whatever the excuses might be, you probably got pushback from an employer and, and the schools. I remember our children, they went to public school. I don't know if I'd kind of difficult these days, but you've got to be on, on guard all the time with their teaching. One year we asked for excused absences to the little grade school up the road. I guess it's a middle school, I guess it was. The principal called me and tried to convince me that missing five days of school is not advisable. I explained a greater dynamic at work here. I said, my son will be coming to the Feast of Tabernacles now, next year, the year after, when he's out of school, and for the rest of his life. And you're trying to convince me to change my faith because he's going to miss five days of school? It ain't going to happen. I was a little hacked off, I guess, because I couldn't believe someone would call me up and question my faith, you know. But that happens. We have people calling up, you know, they want to know about the, the COVID virus uh, uh, letter we send out of trying to get a, you know, uh, an exemption from that. And I had one lady call from work, some guy's work, his boss, and wanted me to explain it, why we don't. It never used to be that way. If you have a religious exemption, that held strong. And according to, I think it's the EEOC, that's all you need. But some people don't listen. Uh, maybe she was just curious, and I hope that's what, what it was, because I got a chance to explain a lot of things. And she probably thought, boy, <laughs> was that the, wow, I didn't expect all of that, dumped the whole load on me. But uh, anyway, um, it, it, it just, it's, it's a different world we're living in. It's different. It really is. But it, it happens, and this is our world, and we have to deal with it. But as long as we can teach the truth, hey, why not? One Feast of Trumpets, we were visited by a nursing instructor. She happened to be one of uh, Wilson's instructors at the university nursing school. She told me that the school policy was that if you missed a week of school, you were automatically dropped from the program. When Wilson came, well in advance to the school administration, he explained it all. He laid it all out well in advance and explained it that he was going to be gone for the Feast of Tabernacles for, you know, a week. And she said that it was his honesty and candidness that won him the exemption, the uh, excused absence, when he explained the importance of his faith. And today, of course, we know he's a full-fledged RN. He he, uh, did real well. Listen, brethren, the world doesn't give a hoot about your spiritual well-being. Got to settle that first. This is what you're up against. If you're going to obey Yahweh, you must be the one to make it happen. Nobody else is going to stand there and help you normally, 99% of the time anyway. Uh, You're going to have to take the initiative and make the stand. And you have done that. You've been here. But those who are listening now, who are just tuning in, learning about the feast, they have to know that. It's, uh, 
it's it's the hardest faith on the uh, on the planet. Really, it is. It's the hardest faith on the planet. But it's for all the marbles. There's no other rewards greater than to be faithful to Almighty Yahweh and His His covenant plan. So, stand with Yahshua, son of Nun, and say, "For me and my family, we're going to serve Yahweh over any human authority on earth." See, man has no say in our salvation. Only Yahweh does. You can't please man and think you're going to have salvation. He can't give it to you. He has made his requirements clear in his word. And man and his agenda will come and go, you know, over the years. You all forget about it. But Yahweh's forever. He's there always. The record of your choices now will stand forever. We find the command to be at this feast in Leviticus 23, 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to Yahweh. These are the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, holy gatherings, convoke, come together, holy gatherings, to offer an offering made by fire to Yahweh. And you shall, he says, you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the uh, of the uh, fruit, beautiful trees, branches, and palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before you. He's talking about a sukkah, building a temporary dwelling. Uh, and you shall rejoice before Yahweh, your Elohim, for seven days. You shall keep a feast to Yahweh for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute whenever you're thinking about it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days, temporary dwellings. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Notice the command to rejoice here <clears throat> appears for the first time in Scripture, embedded in the instructions for tabernacles. Rejoice. Lots of smiles. Lots of people getting along well. Learning what it's like to be in the kingdom. Or what the kingdom will be like. Rejoice. Deuteronomy 16.15 uses an even stronger phrase in relation to rejoicing at the feast. Therefore you shall surely rejoice. Not just put on a happy face for a little while. You will rejoice. Going to be part of your attitude while you're at the feast. The wording is so strong, you might get the idea that it's one big bash. Well, it's a bash for Yahweh. And it, and it adheres to all of, his, uh, all of his desires and all of his instructions. So seriously did the Jews take the command to rejoice that even in Auschwitz, concentration camp, in face of death, they danced. They danced and rejoiced at Feast of Tabernacles. So why do we put so much emphasis on this feast? You know, they're all important, every one of them. Yahweh required 100, listen, 189 animal sacrifices be made. A sacrifice is a freely given offering and represents the giving of the self. You know, you can read about it in Romans 12. So Yahweh expects even more sacrifice from his people at the Feast of Tabernacles. There are, nevertheless, there's, there's two other feasts that are defined as pilgrim feasts, of course, unleavened bread, and uh, Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. Uh, 
We learn many lessons as we attend services at the feast, but there are lessons inherent in this feast itself. The first of them is taught by our coming here into the wilderness. Our most persistent day-to-day trial is to keep this world from getting into our way of fulfilling Yahweh's great promise. Come out of the world. That's what he said. uh, Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. They may go into the wilderness. Why? They had to get out of the world environment. They had to go where they uh, could worship me in totality. Because he said, you know, one of the problems is you're going to be sacrificing animals that the Egyptians worshipped. That ain't going to work so well. But the main thing is they had to get out of the world. The men of the Bible achieved that, but not without constant struggle to get free of the world. And the world's influence also affects us. We carry it everywhere we go. The world's thinking often interferes with our discernment, our actions, and so forth. We must deal with automatic worldly reflexes and overcome them. The Feast of Tabernacles helps us do that, gets us realigned. You know, you might have a doctrine you learn from somewhere, maybe on the web, and you start believing it, and you start getting together with people, and somebody says, wait a minute, that's not right. Look at this passage. Oh, I never knew, I never saw that. I mean, oh, you're right, I was wrong. But unless you had somebody point it out, You could be going down never-never land and think that's biblical, whatever goofy doctrine is floating around out there that you accepted. That's one of the benefits, bouncing it off a brother, sister, somebody knowledgeable, and they can show you the uh, truth of the matter. So that's another benefit of coming together. It has its own blessings. 1 Peter 2.11 says to consider ourselves aliens and pilgrims in this world. A pilgrim is someone passing through. He has no plans to set down roots. He's passing through a foreign land. He doesn't have intentions of staying, but is heading in a different place, to a different place. Has a different objective. So that's what we have to be constantly, our minds focused on. We're going to a different place. We have a different worship, a different way of Approaching our creator. Hebrews 11.13 depicts all the patriarchs we read about in the Old Testament in their uh, spiritual passage to something better. If they don't give us encouragement and strength, tell me what does. Quote, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. That's kind of where we are. We see it afar off. We're assured of them, embrace them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims in the land. These are all the people, the patriarchs and all those in the Old Testament with faith, it says. They're strangers in a land. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind uh, that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. Didn't look back like Lot's wife did. Don't look back. Keep going. Keep pushing forward. Don't be enticed again by where you just came out of. They had an opportunity to return. It would probably have convinced them, many, to go back. You know, like, like Israel did. 
Oh, we remember all the good things. Moses, he brought us out here to die. All the good things we had in Egypt, the leeks and the melons and, and the slavery. No, we don't want to talk about that. We just want something to eat. I mean, that's how short-sighted they were. Um, they wanted to go back. Go back. Back in bondage. Where they had to make the bricks and where they had to get, uh, you know, every day. Get up, get going, work all day long till you drop over exhausted and maybe dead. But they couldn't. They couldn't get the concept. Their mind's eye didn't reach to the, the whole point that they were going to be free. They were going to be worshiping Yahweh independently of any kind of taskmaster and so forth. It says, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Wherefore, Yahweh is not ashamed to be called their Elohim, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, with all his wealth, lived a literal nomadic existence out there. The father of the faithful living in tents till Yahweh called him. We may not be wandering nomads, but in a spiritual sense, we're, we're not at home anywhere either. You know, we, spiritually, we clash with this world. And this is the second lesson of tabernacles. James writes in, first, in uh, the first chapter, verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before Yahweh and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's pure faith. That's pure living your faith. And since we're not literally wandering around every day in the wilderness, this verse is simply a statement of faith responsibilities. When we have the right faith, this is what we should be uh, like. Keeping yourself unspotted from the world and to visit those that have a need. We are to keep at arm's length the world system and its unscriptural ways. We do that by not letting us squeeze into its mold. And that's easy to happen if you're not careful. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day needs to be a renewal of your mind. It's good to you know, get up in the morning and contemplate on Yahweh, say a prayer, read some passages, read some scriptures, and get your mind square again before you face the world. It's an excellent advice. So far, we've learned two lessons from the feast. Come out of the world, of course, and don't be at home in the culture of man that becomes a reason for living. A third lesson of booze is that booze, B-O-O-T-H-S, is that despite their being in the wilderness, Yahweh supplied all their needs. He always supplies your needs if you remain faithful to him. Not maybe your wants. He never promises your wants, but he does promise he'll take care of your needs. So the sukkah are a token of Yahweh's care and protection while on our spiritual pilgrimage to this world, which we need. Something as simple as a few sticks and tree branches provide all the protection needed for Yahweh's people, and it's there. Isaiah 4, 6 is a prophecy about Yahweh's protection in time of distress, distress symbolized by the sukkah. And there will be a tabernacle, booth for shade in the day from the heat, for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. The context is Zion as a place of safety, a secure retreat in time of trouble. 
Won't that be great to be in the millennial kingdom and not have to worry about any problems? Not have to worry that we could be, well, who knows, robbed or attacked or anything like that? It's all protected by Yahweh. Deuteronomy 8, 2-3 shows us what a pilgrim experience can be. And you shall remember that Yahweh, your Elohim, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to what? To humble you and to test you. He didn't have wandering around like this over and over and over. He, he wanted to see hearts 40 years? Man, that's a long time. But that's what he had them do. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. Manna. We have the idea that manna is going to be again given to those who are escaped into the wilderness at the last days. How are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? You know, Yahweh typically repeats things that happened earlier in a later time. It could be he'll be fed with manna. Miraculous food from on high. Wouldn't that be great that you don't have to worry? The feast is not mentioned as a vacation getaway to some tourist Mecca or, you know, something like that. It's just the opposite. Just the opposite. The feast is intended to draw us out. It takes us into temporary dwellings, which is, yeah, it's, it's not easy to uproot your life and go and live for a week with, in a different place and you've got to take everything that you need and so forth. But it's all, it's all the lesson. That's the lesson of uh, the feast, or one of them. Take a little physical hardship. Takes away from our usual comforts and conveniences to make us aware that we're incomplete. We're, we're, we're not there yet. And just as he does at atonement, deprive us of food and water to teach us lessons, to teach us humility. If you can't eat, you get pretty humble pretty fast, you know. Uh, try fasting two or three days and see. Anyway, uh, we covered all that last atonement. But anyway, it's, uh, it's a lesson. All of these feasts have lessons to them. It's not just something we do, you know, like one lady says, oh, you're going to your fundraiser? <laughs> no, we're actually, you know, observing our faith at this time. But the world doesn't quite get it. But that's all right. In the run-up to Tabernacles this year, Marge and I experienced at least a dozen odd challenges. It was unbelievable. Maybe you did too. Things started breaking down out of, out of the blue. Why? You know, a uh, car breaks down and the coffee pot floods all over the table. I mean, out of, out of the, all of these things. They're just they're minor things. We get past them, but it's just... You know, the old evil one, he's just got a gouge. He's, you know, when Job went before uh, for Yahweh, you know, there, or when Yahweh went to discuss Job, uh, who was there with him? The adversary. He was there to put his uh, two cents in and cause trouble. He's there. But anyway, uh, it happens every year. Uh, sometimes you don't even need to look at the calendar. You can say, oh, the feast is coming up. And like uh, six weeks before and everything starts breaking down. Or problems start that you never had before, but uh, that's all right. 
because that's just another lesson we learn from the fees. The popular deception is that a believer will experience constant blessings of health, wealth, and prosperity just by issuing some statement of faith. That's not what the Bible never says that. John 16.33 says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be good cheer. I have overcome the world. He never promises. This is going to be easy street from then on by making a simple profession of faith. That's just the start. Now your problems begin because now you've got to start learning to modify your life. And that's not easy when you come out of the world. Without overcoming obstacles that mold and shape us and teach us about overcoming like nothing else can, we'll never be right in heart and character for the kingdom. So that's what it takes. That's what we do. Yasha said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He allows tests so we can grow. Amos 3.6, does disaster come to a city unless Yahweh has done it? Well, we have a note in the RSB on that. It says, by allowing adverse circumstances to try the heart, we can see the true essence of a person. Or he can see. We can too, I guess. The answer of the prophet is no. His own testimony says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create by conditions and circumstances calamity. I am Yahweh who does all these things. He says you go this direction and the the blow-off is going to be calamity because it's it's, it's going against the, wor- the world. It's going against common, the nature of man. So he says, yeah, you're going to have some blowback when you start following my way. That's just the way it is. So when you start having problems, you know, hey. And that's what he says. You know, after uh, baptism, we tell people, hey, you're going to have some trials. You're going to be tested. Because now you've, you've chosen the way of Yahweh and not the way of Satan. He doesn't care about the world. The world's all going his way anyway. He doesn't care. He wants the cream of the crop. He wants to destroy your faith because you made a commitment to Yahweh. So you're going to have some trials. We can overcome them. Nothing we can't uh, overcome. And Yahweh's not going to, you know, let you drop off the face of the planet. So we, we, we live with it. So here we are, Feast of Tabernacles, spiritual lessons to be learned. At the same time, we reveal us, who we are, and what our, our desire to follow him. Here's one simple case in point of what I mean. The mandate is that this feast is a pilgrim feast, quote, to Yahweh for seven days. A pilgrim feast to come out for seven days to Yahweh. Everything we do now at this feast is ultimately for him. Excuses to avoid doing it come easily when you're when you're out alone by yourself, you've got nobody else to uh, say, wait a minute, uh, rethink that, you know. You're just you and all the rest of the world, you know. It's like, like a big wave washing over you. You know, that's, uh, there, there can't be any help there. You're among unbelievers, mostly. Uh, the current's already moving against you. But here our heart becomes transparent. Here we learn and we grow. And it's such a joy to be there in that place where we have the promises of Yahweh. And he promises the blessings if we do. 
Disobedience cannot be hid in a completely reverse of the normal. The feasts show again the true measure of who we are. It was an easy thing for Yahweh to go get Israel out of Egypt to keep a feast in the wilderness. I mean, he, he can do anything. He can part the seas and, you know, kill a bunch of uh, Egyptian army. That wasn't hard for him. But quite another to get Egypt out of Israel. That was the problem. That was the issue. And that's what we all work on at this feast and at other times in the faith. Getting the Egypt and the world out of us. It keeps drawing us back in. To live purely for a week. Isaiah 43.1 says the place of trial is a place where Yahweh walks by our side. We draw close. But now, thus saith Yahweh, that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called thee by name. You are mine. When you are passed through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. You know, when you're Yahweh's, what do you got to worry about? You know, you, you walk with him. You have an issue, you approach him, asking for guidance and help. Our existence here is subject to to certain death, of course. Our lives are a record of that existence. A dear dedicated brother here was on his last hours, and several of us were there at the, at the bedside to comfort him. I'll never forget the word of one brother as he went out the door as leaving. He says, you have nothing to fear, Paul. And that stuck with me, I thought. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to say. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You know, as soon as a baby is born, the clock starts ticking. The minute he's born, it starts ticking away the minutes toward his death. It's inescapable. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, death was initiated in this world. So we all have that in our future. We only have a certain amount of time in this world. The only thing that can transcend that inevitable is Yahweh himself. We find hope in him and won't ever need to despair. We're here building memories. I don't know if you realize it now. You're going to look back on this years from now, decades from now, and remember the Feast of Tabernacles. What you did here in 2021. Our longtime brother was remembering some of the early feast experiences we had together uh, decades ago. And we didn't fully realize at the time that these were the building blocks of memories that we were going to take with us the rest of our lives and visit over and over again in our minds and think how great that was to be here. I remember, and you'll start talking about some circumstance with somebody. And something you learned, something you gained by, you remember the smiles, you remember the pats on the back, and you'll say, you know, it was good. It was good. So may Yahweh grant us a most memorable feast as we add yet another block to our memories 
of the feast that we'll recall for a lifetime. Make it the best you can for you and your family. Enjoy the feast and really get as much out of it as you can. One of the ways you can do that is to be a service to others, as we've heard. Become a servant. You'll discover the most fulfilling joy imaginable from the most special of celebrations among the most special of people. May Yahweh bless you.